Blog Talk Radio. Services, the men and women in United States Armed Forces, the men and women in police and fire services, 
and the men and women of first line, the first responders, the doctors and nurses, and especially those who clean up the hospital. Um, we also dedicate tonight to a very special set of people. Uh, these people at the age of 18 and up, some even younger, uh, made out a check to the United States for their lives. They went to, to foreign countries. They fought to give us the freedom we have now, the freedom that we enjoy. So we have a very special pledge out to all the veterans out there. Please take a nice breath tomorrow there. Uh, and if you see somebody who is a veteran, and a lot of the guys from, from Vietnam are still around. They still wear that cap. When you see that pin, please honor it. Please let them know that you know they're there. They were sped on. They were, they were yelled at when they came back. They didn't get a good, good uh, return. So we owe them a debt of gratitude. Um, tonight we uh, have our full staff, uh, Roy McCummings, uh, Mr. Roger Hendler, and uh, ever best uh, Don uh, Henderson. Don, you want to take it? Well, I'll tell you, it's great, uh, always great to get together on Wednesday night with you, Frank, and everybody else. And we'll say that for those that are listening and haven't heard before, uh, Roy Cummings covers everything in Tampa, the Lightning, as well as the Bucks and all the, everything that moves in Tampa. Roger's in Atlanta, Georgia, where things are really hot with the World Series, which just ended, and the Falcons trying to bounce back under Ryan. Uh, Tommy G cannot be with us tonight. He had a little automobile accident, so he's on the sidelines this evening. But we're all set to go. We've got a great show for you. we got a great lineup of guests tonight and uh, sort of a smattering across the country. So we ought to have a lot of fun in this next hour and a half talking about what's happening in the world of sports. And, uh, Roy, uh, let's kick it off with you. Uh, the Bucks had the, week, uh, the weekend off this weekend, so I don't think there's really a, a lot to talk about. Is there about do we, as we look forward to the next week? Yeah, really. I mean, uh Certainly, everything is happening outside of Tampa Bay these days. Um, lots, a lot of things going on, on, obviously in Green Bay, where uh, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers will return just in time uh, to play for the Packers on Sunday, and it looks like they could probably use him. They'll need to bounce back themselves. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, kind of quiet here in Tampa these days. So we should probably talk about uh, some some bigger topics. Roger, how well, about Atlanta? Roy, yeah. Well, you know, we can talk about, uh, I think the Falcons uh, are uh, recovering. Uh, They're, uh, you know, 500, as you mentioned. And uh, that was the big win on uh, Sunday uh, for them. Uh, But I really, uh, and and of course, the parade was last Friday after our Wednesday uh, show. So uh, that was a big one. This million and a half, I've heard. Uh, we're there. I, I, for one, stayed about east of the city, did not want to get involved in uh, all of that traffic. There's enough traffic. I just spent the day in the city and in Cobb County, and now I'm back in Forsyth County. Thank goodness. But, um, Roy, I want to talk about uh, – a lot's been said. I want to talk about the uh, Aaron Rodgers situation. Uh, I think it's a joke. The fine that the team got three hundred thousand that he got what was it fourteen and change something like that, and another player got it. I think that is an absolute joke. I heard this morning that the uh, one of the players in the league got fined over twenty thousand for not having his uniform properly uh, set. You know, example whatever, and uh, yeah, you know, and here opinion Rogers has lied. 
and and come you know very bold about it. I think it's a joke. I my my personal opinion is I'd like to see him suspended. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know you're right. I, I look, you, you're not the only one who's upset, Roger. Um, a lot of people inside the National Football League uh, are upset as well. Uh, particularly the executives and some players of teams who are fined much uh, more heavily than Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have been uh, for this COVID violation, and that is what it is. This is a violation of the protocol that was laid down by the league and that was supposedly being followed or administered in some form or fashion and that was supposedly being monitored, and clearly it's not. Um, I think what we have, to be honest with you guys, I think there's a much deeper issue uh, here than, than just Aaron Rodgers. It's clear that Aaron Rodgers uh, thumbed his nose at the, uh, at the protocol and the Packers allowed it um, for whatever reason, um, whether they're afraid of upsetting him or whatever it might be, and that the NFL probably did the same thing. I don't think this is news to anybody, but uh, once, he got, once he had COVID, it kind of had to come out that this guy's been endangering his teammates and uh, staff members uh, throughout you know, the course of the season. And, uh, you know, who knows how many people he may have possibly infected, if any, you know, may, may, maybe not, but he may have also infected a few people. Certainly the opportunity was there for him to do so. And to me, that's a cavalier attitude towards a situation that, you know, look, there's a lot of opinions about the, the science behind it and a lot of opinions behind the, uh, the remedies for it. But the bottom line is, is this is an airborne virus, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's killed 600,000 people, 700,000 people now just in this country alone, and I think people should be taking, you know, taking it seriously. And he didn't take it seriously. And you have teams that were fined uh, that have lost draft picks uh, as a result of mm-hmm. their COVID violations. Um, the, uh, the New Orleans Saints are one of them. Um, as you said, uh, Roger, players have been fined much more than, than Aaron Rodgers was for, for his situation. Um, some people, I think, are, are upset with the fact that here's a person who on a daily basis for four months, uh, well, at least two months, um, uh, basically you know, thwarted this whole thing and was in violation of this protocol every single day for months, and, um, and hmm. nothing was done. And, you know, some people are upset that, you know, he's being fined for, you know, once, in essence, for one violation, where the truth of the matter is he was in violation every day for, uh, for several weeks here. So th- there's a lot of people upset, and I think rightfully so. But I think, as I said, I think there's a bigger, deeper issue here. The NFL has found a way to kind of skirt its own protocol, and I don't think there's any question that, Players with COVID have been allowed to play. Players with COVID have been allowed to break the rules throughout the league. I think if there was any kind of a serious investigation into this, um, I think you would find that there, this is just virtually common practice where players are allowed to do whatever they want, vaccinated or unvaccinated, um, and that there is really no serious effort on the part of the league, its players or teams, to protect anyone on the outside or even anyone on the inside from getting this virus. The league is much more concerned and it, you know, 10, 14 billion dollars a year. I understand it, but um, you know, how much how much do you put on a, on a life? Um, there's no question right. that the league is financing 
head of people's safety here. They're not alone. Um, look, uh, there's there's an entire faction of people out there who believe that's the right thing to do. I live in a state, obviously, where, um, you know, we've been, you know, looking at this thing askance to begin with. So uh, from the very beginning, and again, whatever your viewpoints are, bottom line, I think, is that you have to protect people. And uh, everybody's pretty much ignored that throughout the course of uh, – Certainly, certainly throughout the course of the season in Green Bay, and I think throughout the course of the season in every other city in the league as well. And the league doesn't care. Well, I think my contribution would be this. I agree with you, Roger, but anybody that's followed the National Football League for any length of time knows there's no even distribution of fines, penalties, or whatever it may be. They depend on who the player is that's violated the rules. And this is another perfect example of that. If we're another player, a lesser player, certainly would have been a much different thing. But I think going back to the essence of the problem was that he misled, I'm assuming, the Green Bay Packers. I know he misled the press. And he said, well, the reason the press doesn't know is because he didn't follow up my question after I said yes. Right. I had my own uh, checkup and virus protection. The press did not follow up and nail him down on that. What kind did you have? What did you do? And he used that as a primary excuse for why he went all the way through until last weekend when they finally caught up with him. So I think all of those things uh, uh, sort of build up to a character of an individual. I mean, he lied all the way through right up until the end, even even after the league made their ruling. Uh, but it's not unusual. The big wheels, get the, <laughs> they get the grease. And the small wheels don't get the grease, Roy. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and you make a great point there, uh, Don, because had this been a much lesser player, I'm sure the fine would have been equal, if not greater. Uh, If it had been a problem player, uh, someone who the league isn't uh, necessarily uh, happy with, um, you know, or who's maybe been uh, in violation of situations before, uh, you know, whatever it might be, um, I, I think you know the punishment would have been much harsher. Uh, and and you're right. The, the you know the, the stars get treated differently in this league, and I'm not sure that that's the right thing to do in a, in a situation like this. Um, you said you also mentioned Don. You know this is kind of an ex an ex an, ex, um, an exposure of the character of, of Aaron Rodgers. And look, uh, people may laugh at this, but ever since his brother was on The Bachelor about five years ago. Um, we have found out that Aaron Rodgers is not the person that uh, he you would like him you would like the player that he is to be, and uh, that the, the the person doesn't match the player, and um, this is just another example of it. Um, this is a guy who, you know, basically is out for himself. Uh, he's really not that great of a teammate. I, I hear there's talk about leadership, and look, I've never covered the Packers, uh, you know, on a daily basis, so I don't know the leadership level, but. Look, we've certainly heard him cry and whine about, you know, his role in putting the team together and is he going to get the kind of players that he wants, this, that, and the other. I'm just not so sure that this is the greatest leader uh, we've ever seen here. So, um, And this, to me, just is another example of that. Roger? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, uh, Roy. And, uh, you know, I, I think the one uh, positive uh, coming out of this is uh, at least one of his uh, the, uh, sponsors has dropped him. <clears throat> excuse me, that he represents. And I think that maybe more to follow. But, you know, when you were talking about other his teammates and others, I'm thinking about Aaron Andrews, 
who has stood there at least uh, once or twice that I know of and interviewed him. Did you a know, and half it was hour not. before the game a couple of weeks ago, Roger. Uh, you know, one-on-one. Uh, yeah. on right, and and without the extended uh, microphone that we saw last year a lot, you know. So I wonder what you know, he look, thinks now, you know. Yeah, that's a great Go question. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're right, Roger. I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but, but I, don't, I don't want to forget this point. That's a great point that you make, and, and Aaron Andrews, I believe, is sort of at the tip of the iceberg of another issue here, and I'm sure that the majority of fans, you know, on, on their level of concern, the media is probably at the absolute bottom, and rightfully so. That's fine. Uh, we're only the conduit to pr- provide you the information that you, you know, absorb so much, but at the end of the day, the hoops that the media has to go through in order just to get an audience with the great Aaron Rodgers, to be in the same room with Aaron Rodgers um, is quite, uh, those are quite fiery hoops. Uh, You have to be tested, you have to be vaccinated, uh, you have to uh, maintain certain protocols. Uh, If you don't, you're not allowed, and you have to to wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. And here's a guy just completely flaunting the protocol to keep everyone else safe, so everybody has to cater to Aaron Rodgers to make sure he's safe, but Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to do a damn thing to make sure that everybody else is safe. And, by the way, there's more of them than there are of him. There's him, right. and then you've got a room full of staff members, media members, et cetera, et cetera, every time he opens his mouth. And to me, that's where this thing has, has really uh, gone awry is that, Yes, Aaron Andrews is one who who had him one on one, but others have two. Uh, you know, and to me, this is just uh, this is how this is how problems begin. I mean, who again? Who knows how many people could have been exposed at one point or another uh, as a result of Aaron Rodgers' uh, inconsiderate nature? It's just to me, it's just horribly wrong. And and to I mean, uh, where's the suspension? I mean, it's just clear that the league doesn't care uh, about this virus. They don't. This is the proof. Yeah. Well, they got hit in the head, Roy, because they spent all the week before promoing the biggest game of the year between these two teams and these two quarterbacks. And all of a sudden, two days before the, the, the game is to be played, they've got to eat their own words because he's not able to play because of the virus. Yeah, and you know what? Unfortunately, that's how the league looks at it. The league looks at it and says, "Well, that's our loss. We didn't get. We probably didn't get the audience we we would have gotten had it been Rodgers versus Mahomes. We didn't get the game we were hoping, right? Um, and everything else. And that's what their concern is. Their concern is we probably lost maybe a few million dollars on this, or we lost some kind of leverage in the next negotiation, whatever it might be. We didn't get what we want, what we were expecting out of this, and woe is us. Whereas. They don't give a damn about you, me, or anybody else outside of that Packers locker room or outside of their own little circle of people. So, And that, to me, is just another major black eye for the NFL, which has taken a slew of them here over the course of the last month, from the John Gruden thing to the Washington football team situation, Henry Ruggs, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, once again, it, it, this league is the most popular, but I still sometimes shake my head and wonder how and why. Roger, well, you know, Roy, guys, we we yeah. talked about this. For Roger, the, we have a caller. We, yeah. We have a caller that has, okay. uh, has a different uh, slant. Go ahead, Katie. Okay. Um, 
Are we talking about the uh, Aaron Rodgers? Yes. All right. I. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I. He's gonna get. He's gonna get reprimanded for the from the public. His his entire rest rest of his career, or or at least or, or at least the rest you know two years. He's gonna be. This is gonna be brought up over and over and over again. Him not getting vaccinated. Him, you know, putting in the players at stake. Him putting interviewers at stake. And I I really don't think he should be. Um, should be uh, fined. I mean, yes, he, he's going to get torn apart from his sponsors. He's going to lose his sponsors. I, I don't think he should be fined. I don't think he should be su- uh, suspended because um, he's already going to get enough uh, hate and backlash from this. I couldn't disagree more. Roger? Yeah, well, I disagree, too. And, uh, yeah, you know, what I was, I was going to uh, say, they, uh, just to follow up with what Roy was saying, I have a pretty good relationship with the Falcons PR staff and uh, I'm not over there because it's only a few people there, but uh, Matt Haley had said to me, cause I wanted to talk, uh, interview Kyle Pitts because of, you know, the Philadelphia uh, relationship. And he told me that uh, when that, when he was available during the season, he would let me know and I could come over you know, an interview. So you're right, Roy. Look at what everybody in the media has to go through uh, to be t- tested and, and uh, checked daily. And, I mean, and, and this guy got away with it. But the big thing was he lied. And I, the other thing about what you had said, great point about the league. We talked about this for, like, the last year about the effect of some of those these social issues uh, that they're pushing uh, are going to radiate to the attendance. This is the first year that I ever remember that they advertise in all of their programming, individual tickets are available through Ticketmaster. And I never remember in the, uh, na- na- nationally individual tickets being promoted during NFL uh uh, broadcast not, not only games you know but any of the nfl network etc I, I you know what do you do you have you do you remember seeing that in the past well we've seen it here in tampa over the last several years obviously um it's not that way right now uh the games are all sold out here in tampa but they just want a super bowl it's a little bit different in other cities but you're right i look i you have to think that there is a certain uh collection of fans uh in every city that uh, are, are at least hesitant to go out and, and attend a game, um, if not adamant about not attending a game. So I think that's, you know, and I think it's that way, you know, it's that way across the, across every spectrum, you know, of entertainment and even life. I mean, there's people who are hesitant to go out to the grocery store still. And, and I look, I, I mean, mm-hmm. if you follow the news and where we are on things, we're, we're, we obviously have, you know, medications now that people can take. Should they get the virus, they could hopefully uh, keep it in check. Uh, you may not have to get the vaccine. Uh, you know, many people have had the vaccine. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, the same, stu- the same information out there shows that there is an 11 per- 11% greater chance of someone not vaccinated getting the virus and dying from the virus, or at least bottom line, dying mm-hmm. from the virus. And so the bottom mm-hmm. line is, and I appreciate the callers on this, um, but the bottom line is Aaron Rodgers put people's lives in danger. He All did right. By, and the fact that he lied about it is just it's not a good look for the NFL. It's just not. This is one of your star players. This is one of the people that – this guy is the face of the league, not just a franchise. 
and he lied. He lied about uh, an epidemic or, or his participation in a in, in a in a protocol uh, to con- protect people from uh, a virus that has killed seven hundred thousand people in this country alone. Alone, <clears throat> that has shut down industry, that has <clears throat> caused people jobs, etc. Right on down the line. Um, you know, if we ever do get back to normal here, uh, there's still going to be, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people whose lives will never be the same again as a result of this virus. Oh. Here's a guy who, again, I, I completely, uh, if he want, you know, whatever his viewpoints are, are fine. But you know what? You don't have to play either. You, can, you, you know, if, if the protocol is that you either get the virus or you don't play or you follow a certain protocol, well, then you either get the virus, get the vaccine or you don't play, or you follow the protocols, and he decided not to follow the protocols, and the team let him do it, the league knew he was doing it and let him do it, and then they slapped him on the wrist at the end of the day. When people's lives are in danger, you've got to take uh, action. Uh, your, your, your actions have, you have to be responsible for your actions. Roy, let's jump to the future, because uh, the Bucks are not coming off their greatest performance, uh, not this weekend, obviously they had it off, but the weekend before. Uh, as you turn the page, looking ahead to this weekend, what do you think? Yeah, it's a good question because, uh, let's face it, the Bucks have played, you know, arguably two good teams so far, uh, and they've lost to both of them. And they lost the Rams. They lost the Saints with, with a backup quarterback, by the way. So, you know, what's left on the schedule? Well, you got a couple of teams that could give them trouble. Uh, the Colts, perhaps. Uh, Saints, again, although I don't know if they're going to be that difficult. Um, I don't know how good the Carolina is going to be with, uh, uh, with without Sam Darnold, but um, we'll see. Uh, the Falcons could give them some fits. Uh, so there's a couple, only a couple of teams there. Obviously, the Bills are one that uh, are going to give them trouble. But here's the thing: what the Bucks have shown is that the good teams give them trouble, and in fact, they lose to them. So uh, it doesn't really necessarily. I mean, certainly, it's time to fix it, um, but. You, you can make the argument that it doesn't bode well for the team going forward. Uh, they're, they're sure to make the playoffs, it seems. It's highly unlikely they'll miss it. But uh, th- they get there, and that's when they start playing the good teams. And if they don't figure out a way to get a little bit better against the better teams, it could be a short run for them in the playoffs. Roger, let's get the final question in for this half hour before we switch over to Lou Schottfeld and go to it. Well, I'll tell you, Roy, uh, getting back to the Falcons uh, for a minute, uh, I really think that they have uh, turned the corner. Uh, You know, they had that down period, and if they can continue uh, to go up and not down or level, I think they'll be fine. And uh, things are starting to fall into place, and I think Arthur Smith uh, has gotten this message. uh, They're finally adjusting to – uh, the new coach, and you know, uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I, I, look, I like what I'm seeing on defense from them. Uh, that seems to be the area where I think they've taken the biggest step. Um, the other thing I think that has happened is I think uh, it just seems to me like Matt Ryan is comfortable finally in in that offense. Uh, I, I don't know, Roger, how you feel about that, but to me, just watching him this past Sunday, it just looked to me like this is the most comfortable I've seen him in a, in a year or two. Um, it just seemed uh, right. like he was doing things naturally yet again and uh, moving the team down the field, not not necessarily at will, but certainly uh, effectively when it was necessary. And, I, and I, to me, that was uh, 
uh, that that was a big step forward. And I think once you start building some confidence with victories, you know how it can be. I mean, it's like wildfire. That can spread pretty quickly and uh, fuel you for a while. Well, Roy, as always, thank you very much. Always in the forward of first half hour. And take care of things there in Tampa, Florida. We'll look to see what the Bucks do this weekend. And then we'll all get together next week uh, on a Wednesday night as well. Thank you. Very good. We'll talk Roy, about it have then, a great guys. week. Thanks for having me as always. Thank Roger. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Well, we're we're going to uh, have one of the uh, from the world of hockey on the original uh, Philadelphia Flyers management team, uh, who's been involved in just about everything and anything in the world of sports over many years. He was with, with the Daily News when uh, before he went to work for the Flyers as a uh, vice president. Lou Scheinfeld, a pleasure to have you with us, Lou. Uh, thank you so much, and I have to tell you, it's so nice to hear your voice up here in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you, it's interesting as well, because I think in the period that you made the jump uh, to the Philadelphia Flyer was the most interesting period in total in Philadelphia, because the Flyers were starting up, the the uh, uh, stadium was trying to be built, uh, prison was trying to be started, as you well know, you were part of that. So many things were happening at the same time, even outside of the Phillies and the Eagles and so forth, and you were right in the mix. Well, you know what? Trying to sell hockey in a non-hockey town, uh, I would call people on the phone, and I'd say, you know, I'm calling from the Flyers, and they would say, Briars, Briars ice cream. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I'm Ed Snyder, who was the owner, my dear friend, uh, he and I went to a bank to try to get a loan to finance the spectrum, and uh, we finished our entire presentation, and they said, we don't think soccer is going to go over in Philadelphia. <laughs> we, we, Wait a minute, we're hockey. And the guy said, what's the difference? So, <laughs> what's hockey? <laughs> what's, yeah, hockey, soccer, it's, it's all the same. It'll never go over. Roger? Well, you know, you know Lou, I was thinking about this uh, because you were there. Uh, remember the first office for the Flyers before they you, know, you all moved to the Spectrum was at 230 South 15th, which was the old that, IBM building, as I recall. And that is, uh, I right? can remember. Yep. Is that, is, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. And uh, diagonally across the street, I guess you'd say in Philadelphia, Caddy Corner, yeah. uh, was the yeah. original Eagles office. <laughs> so, uh, it, was. it was. just, and, and then it was Dewey's. Yeah, that is exactly right. Nobody remembers that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one day we were going to lunch. I worked at Broad and Locust at the time, and we were going over. I'll never forget this. My friends that I work with remember it, too. And uh, and I mentioned this to Ed one time. He and Earl Foreman, his brother-in-law, uh, were there. And, of course, Earl was part owner with Jerry Wallman of the Eagles at the time. And they were outside. Ed had just bought a new Corvette. And they were, he was like a kid in a candy store, you know, with this new Corvette. And I brought it up to him one time, and he remembered it. And I'm sure you would probably remember it. And, he, and I said to him, Ed, you can buy a lot of Corvettes now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, loved was, the cor- right. he, he, he loved the well, Corvette. Well, go ahead. Lou, the but interesting was, yeah. thing was that uh, you know you, you just mentioned 
uh, going to the bank and not knowing who the Flyers were, whether they were a soccer team or a hockey team. But also it was right in the transition uh, of the ownership because uh, they built the Spectrum, which turned out to be really one of the great arenas in the country. And people still talk about it that I had the pleasure of being in the 7707 that were there game after game after game. But that wasn't an easy task either because first the roof blew off, then there was uh, there's no financing to really reincorporate the building. A lot going on there as well as with the Flyers. Well, you know, Ed Snyder had given up smoking. He was a four-pack-a-day lucky strike guy, four wow. packs a day, one after another. And he gave up smoking uh, based on everybody, you know, telling him he's got to stop. And the day the roof blew off, which was January of 68, was, was right. like we opened, we opened in October of 67. It was only a few months later. He that night he went back to smoking four packs a day, and he did, we didn't know if we had insurance because it, it happened on a Saturday afternoon, and we couldn't get a hold of our insurance guy till Monday. But uh, I have to uh, say one thing: I did educate Ed Snyder on this. Finally, the roof did not blow off. A severe wind happened on a Saturday afternoon while we had the ice capades with 11,000 people in, in the stands. And what happened was the wind came across the roof at such a fierce um, force that it created a suction, and it lifted tar paper and insulation, which flew all over the place. The, the roof, which was made of perforated steel, uh, perforated so that sound would not echo back down onto the court or on the, on the stage of a concert, uh, you could see through it because it was perforated. So technically the roof never came off, but everybody says the roof came off. Yeah, we lived through all kinds of strife. Jerry Wallman ran out of money. Ed Snyder and Jerry Wallman had a blood feud, a terrible falling out of families and partnership. And uh, we didn't have the money at the last second even to pay for the Flyers franchise, but Snyder put it together. The Spectrum went into bankruptcy. Snyder and Earl Foreman, God bless them, took it out of a receivership. And, and we turned it into America's show place, one of the most successful arenas in the United States. And the Valentine distributor gave them the money to bring Clarkie down. They didn't have the money to bring Clarkie down after he was drafted. Well, you know, it was everything was tough. It was tough to try to convince people. I, I had close friends I invited to the opening Flyers game. And they said, well, should we bring – I said, no, no, it's an indoor oh, building. And they said, oh, hockey is hockey is indoor. And, of course, Gene Hart was our first PA announcer, the great, great Gene Hart. And he would explain to people uh, during the game offsides, and he would say what offsides meant. Icing. Icing is when the puck crosses two red lines and a, uh, two, whatever, two continuous lines and hits the – and and people said icing. They thought icing was something on a butterscotch tasty cake, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is the broadcast on WCAU were only the third periods, you know. And you know what? For, uh, the only way we got that was we went to cha- to uh, uh, WCAU over at City Line Avenue and Monument Avenue, and yeah. they had the they yeah. had the Eagles, they had the Phillies, and they had the Seventy Sixers. And we said, we have to be one of the big four or we're going to be a minor league entity. And we went in and we met with Jack Downey, who was the general manager. He's the guy who opened Downey's uh, restaurant down on the front and uh, yeah. south. Lou, I, yeah. Lou, I worked with him at CAU for 15 years or more. 
before he opened the Downey's downtown. And he went out to the airport for a member for a year or so. Uh, uh, great guy, Rizzo, a great guy. A, he said, I, I don't know. Before he opened he said, the restaurant. But anyway, that's, that's all they're here or there. But uh, he, he was he a said, great he guy. He said, we don't have any time. Just, and he was a great guy to work with. He was. He was. He was but yeah. they, they were not interested. And he said, look, I'll, I'll sell you. I won't broadcast and give you any rights fee or even give you their time. But I will sell you. Uh, Sunday nights, your third period. <laughs> and we paid him. <laughs> We we paid him so our Sunday nights and Gene Hart would go do the third period, right? And that's how we, that's how we got on the radio. It was never easy. Well, you, you know, end, yeah, he wound up uh, buying WIP because he wanted to be sure that every game was on. Yeah, it, it was not easy. Well, we had to we we had to uh, do the same thing with Channel Forty Eight to get our games on TV. Right. Uh, we only had 20 games, and we had to pay for those two. And we had Stu Nahan and Gene Hart, Stu Nahan, Captain Philadelphia. Um, yeah, the great but, Stu Nahan. <laughs> I worked with him at 48, and I know the story about that you told me, Lou. We won't go into that, about the Not Captain that one. Philadelphia and South Philly. <laughs> <laughs> we will not talk about that. <laughs> no, you know, Lou. Uh, getting back, getting back to opening night of the Spectrum. Uh, my late wife and I were there. I still have the coin. It was against the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, right? Uh, and uh, you gave out a coin, which I still have, and I, you know, I cherish it because uh, I just, you know, I was I was a hockey fan as Ray Dinger and I when he's been on. Uh, the show we talked about, we went to the Ramblers games, and we I brought up Ivan Wamsley, and as Ray said, people mm. are now Googling, who the heck was Ivan Wamsley, you know? Right. But I was a hockey fan, and, and I still am a hockey fan, and uh, I moved back to Georgia last, uh, year, last about a year ago, and I was at opening night for the uh, Flames, opening night for the Thrashers, went to a mm. minor league uh, game, and I'll tell you what, uh, I love hockey, and we talk about it a lot on the show. But thanks to you and Ed and everybody else, I remember Joe Cadillac was, uh, you know, there at the beginning doing uh, the press, the media. You guys are to be congratulated. And I know that book is out or coming out all about the spectrum, you know, that Don and I and Frank, we all love. Well, the book the book is out, and we've uh, sold several hundred copies. Uh, it's called Blades, Bands, like uh, rock bands, and Ballers. And it's uh, it's not a hockey story. It's not a sports story. It's a story of an America that doesn't exist anymore when somebody like a Jerry Wallman or an Ed Snyder could, uh, could own a hockey team individually and build an arena and turn it into a, 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 an industry with Prism and Comcast Spectacore and all the other ancillaries they did. But that opening night that you talked about, Bill Sutherland scored the only goal against Pittsburgh, and we won one to nothing. But Bill Sutherland almost didn't get into the arena because the guards didn't believe he was a hockey player. Uh, they they didn't know what a hockey player looked like, and he was slight and not that tall. And they said, uh, I'm sorry, you've got to have a ticket. And he said, no, no, I have to go in the locker room. I'm a player. Well, one of the other executives came along and spotted him, but – 
I've got all these great stories in in my book. Uh, the book's available on Amazon and other places, Barnes and Noble, and it's it tells us a time of the '60s and '70s. Before, there was never a concert in an arena. There was no such thing as as rock concerts. That didn't happen until the mid '70s when Electric Factory and other and FM radio came along. So, so many great things, starting of Prism and the Flyers and the Spectrum and. Earl Foreman, Ed Snyder, Jerry Wallman, so many, Joe Cadillac you mentioned, uh, Joey Watson, so many great players, Forbes Kennedy, you know, we had so much fun. Well, Lou, I think uh, you really had to give Ed so much credit because, uh, as you just mentioned, uh, he he had such a vision for everything. I mean, uh, you talk about Prism, uh, you know, how many people, I did the 76er games and uh, Gene, of course, every uh, did every game. Gene did everything for the Flyers. He was you're, when you said he was one of the best. He was, in my view, he was better than the best. Uh, when he did that Russian game, he had every single Russian name down. I mean, he could have been in Moscow; they wouldn't have known the difference. But that's uh, right. <laughs> I mean, he was he was that good. And uh, but Lou had a vision. He had a vision for television. He had a, diff- a vision for the concerts, as you indicate. He had a vision for uh, the spectrum to take, make it go. Uh, he was a visionary. He was, and not only that, he he was the he was the smartest man I've ever met in my life, and he could cut through. He he should have been a headline writer, you know, for the New York Times. Uh, he could take he could distill a major problem with ten people in his office, all worried about something, and in four words, he's done. He told us exactly what to do. The man was brilliant. I, I, I miss him so much, and so many people in Philadelphia do, but you're right about his vision. He he said to me, hockey, we've got 20, play, 20 players. Mm-hmm. They bring in 20 other players to play us. Broadway shows charge $75 a ticket. We're charging nine. Why aren't we charging more like for a Broadway show? And he saw, he saw, a, he had a vision that, this this is a presentation that you can't get anyplace else. So we started raising our prices little by little, and people were still happy to come. And we had the Sixers, and we had uh, Joe Frazier fighting. Uh, we, we had wrestling with uh, uh, everybody, and we had roller derby and tennis and uh, horse shows, and you name it. It was just a fantastic time, and. I got to give Ed Snyder, Earl Foreman, Jerry Wallman, all three of those guys I love dearly, all the credit in the world because they were so far ahead of me. I was just happy to pitch in. And Jerry's well, you know, winning when he came to Philly. Bought you know, Connie Mack Stadium. <laughs> that was at the end of the line for the Phillies there. They went to the vet, obviously. But uh, he owned the, the taxi cab company in Philadelphia. He was a little bit of a visionary, too. Unfortunately, he ran into a a uh, little problem out there in Chicago with one of his major buildings, and that cost cost him a lot of uh, not only a lot of money, but a lot of opportunity to stay in the game. Well, that broke his heart and, and broke his back. Uh, he was building the Hancock Center, a hundred-story building, which at the time would have been the largest, uh, tallest building in North America. And uh, after several months of construction. They found that it was it was sinking. You couldn't see it to the naked eye, but the engineers saw it was uh, sinking. And it turned out that the uh, the uh, c- uh, company that designed it uh, did not allow enough time for the concrete foundations to cure before they inserted mm. the metal beams. 
so it was sinking a little bit. Right. They were like they were like five or six stories up already. They had Jerry had to tear it all down and start over. John Hancock, mm. the insurance company, pulled out and said, "We're not. We want nothing to do with this anymore." So Jerry had to dip into his own pocket and uh, in 1966 and spend 20 million dollars of his own personal money to keep this project going. And he ran out of money, and he had he lost the Eagles, mm. he lost everything. It was tragic, just absolutely tragic. But what a wonderful guy! Wonderful guy. Yes, he was. He was a terrific guy. He was, you know, Lou, we had him on one night, uh, and we were, I've read his book, and uh, I asked him the question about Joe Kuharik, you know, in the 13-year contract, and he told us that that was only, that, uh, was only for co- to coach for a few years. The rest of the time was going to be in administration, and that was like a, a news bulletin because Don and I and Frank, we talked to everybody we knew, uh, writers from the uh, era and everything. Nobody ever knew that, you know, that it was that it was uh, it wasn't a thirteen-year coaching contract. Well, I'm glad you said that. I didn't know that. I remember the incident, and that caused a big uh, uh, strife between Jerry Wallman and Ed Snyder because Joe Herrick openly opposed Ed Snyder and felt he was more important in the Eagles organization than Ed Snyder, who was vice president. And Wallman turns around and gives him this long contract as coach and general manager. Uh, and the fans in Philadelphia went nuts. They were flying planes before that over the Franklin Field. Joe must you, go. Joe, Joe must, must go. go. You yeah. got that right. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you just brought up a point which I thought was really interesting when you talked about single ownership or partnership, uh, you know, could never happen again because of the prices. But we in Philadelphia had the Rooley Carpenter uh, – his dad, Bob Carpenter, owned the Philadelphia Phillies. They owned the whole package. As you said, we talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. We talk about uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, they they were a, just a group. They weren't a company. They were a group of people that owned these teams. Yeah, that was uh, the, in Philadelphia. There was something called the 300 Brothers. It was put together to buy the team from a guy by the name of Thompson because it was probably going to leave Philadelphia. So they put $300,000 together, and they, they had the team for like 15 years. Then they decided to sell it, and Jerry Wallman outbid Philadelphia guys by far to, to get the uh, to, 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 to own the Eagles. And, right. Uh, I, I remember asking Jerry, how come you, you bid so much? And he said, because I bleep and wanted to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was well, a, a nice way. guy, sweet guy, but he, he you didn't you didn't mess with him. Roger. So, you know the other thing, Lou, I wanted to bring up because you're involved, uh, you're leading, you're it, okay? The uh, Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, and I know you told me uh, on the email uh, last week. And by the way, I have an envelope to mail tomorrow uh, on the uh, that Warriors media guide to you, and oh, also you. I found a. Great. Yeah, Philadelphia Stars media guide and a team mm. picture. So if you can use it, that's fine. But talk Thank about you. the uh, Hall of Fame and, and where you are. You're going to have a, uh, a beginning of it in Williamstown, New Jersey, I believe is what you said, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's called uh, Washington Township, New Jersey. Uh, that's where all the, mm-hmm. the auto row is, all the auto places. And um, uh, my colleague, uh, Doc Hachi, who has a uh, personal sports and memorabilia 
collection worth over $35 million. He, wow. he can't wait. He can't wait for the Philadelphia one, which is going to take a while. So he wants to open his own demonstration museum in uh, uh, the township over there. And he's got such great stuff. Uh, it, he's got the Babe Ruth jerseys and Lou Gehrig and Joe Lewis's uh, championship belt. He's got he was doctor he was Joe Frazier's dear friend and doctor. He has all of Joe Frazier's stuff. He's got uh, uh, Muhammad Ali's gloves and and uh, robe and Frazier's robe and gloves from the big fight at Madison Square Garden in '71. Uh, he's got. Um, uh, uh, Jesse Owens uh, track shirt from the 1936 Olympics when Hitler didn't want him there because he was black. Yeah. Uh, he's got, and all these things, everything that we have is game worn and or autographed. It's not, it's not the replicas or anything like that. And Dr. Tapachi is a purist. He doesn't sell things. He buys things. He's a hoarder and he keeps everything. And so everything he has has been worn and or and or autographed. So all great stuff. He was a collector oh, before collecting right. became famous. Well, that is true, and I wish I were because I gave away so much stuff. Look, I grew up in a candy store, which I talk about in, in North Philadelphia, and uh, I talk about it in my book. And uh, we had comic books, Superman, and Detective, and, right. and Batman. They were ten cents. If if I had kept 20 of those i'd be a multimillionaire today yeah you're right but you're right but speak but speaking of memorabilia we didn't know it was valuable uh i i had a uh, when we started the flyers at 230 south 15th in the windows we had mannequins with the five uh, six existing nhl teams and each one had a uniform of the blackhawks the red wings uh, toronto uh, whatever chicago and montreal and uh, when we closed that office, they were going to throw this stuff out. So I took the Montreal jersey. It was number five, a wool jersey. And I played touch football every Sunday morning wearing that. And it had grass stains and a rip and this and that. And I, I forgot about it. And one day I get a call from a, a collector in Florida. He said, look, I'm coming up to Philadelphia. Do you have any fire stuff you want to sell? I said, not really. And my wife over here says, she said, what about that Montreal jersey? I said, do we still have it? She says, yeah, it's downstairs in the basement in the closet. So the guy says to me, what number's on it? I said, number five. He said, he said that's Boom Boom Jeffreyon. He was the great Rangers player and, and a future coach. $1,000 for it. I said, what? <laughs> he, he sent me a certified check for $5,000. I sent him this old jersey, and I find out three weeks later he sells it for 25000 Oh my God! I got. I had no idea. And today it's crazy. The collection world is crazy. None of us had well, any idea. Know I mean, I, I wasn't a. I don't. I never collected autographs. I never. I just wasn't my nature. I. The only time I've told this story on the show, on the show many times. The only time I, when Pete Rose broke the record, and they held the press conference down underneath the stadium, it was over. And the news director from CAU, he said, Don, he said, get down and. And uh, the, the Phillies put out a poster, and Stan Musial was there. Stan Musial was there when they broke the record, and he was on one side of the poster, and Pete Rose was on the other. And he said, uh, and the Phillies were handing him out. So he said, you got a couple of those? I said, yeah, sure. He said, well, get Pete Rose and, and uh, Stan Musial to sign it for me, will you? 
Hmm. And uh, <laughs> I said, oh, I said, you know, I, I, I don't ask anybody for any signing. I don't want to do that. Oh, well, I got to have it. I, I said, okay. So after the press conference was over, I had Pete Rose sign it. I had Stan Musial sign it. Two of them, right? So he wow. he said, here, give them to me. He said, I'm going to have them framed. I'll give one back to you. That was the last time I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, Lou, talking about Boom Boom Jeffrey on, this is ironic. I went with my friend uh, who Don and, and uh, Frank know uh, lives uh, here, and he's from Maryland originally. And we went over to this uh, Gladiators minor league hockey game when we could go uh, last Friday. And a guy there is wearing a number five Jeffrey on Canadian (laughs) sweater. And it's obviously a, a, uh, you know, a replica, you know, one that uh, Mm -hmm. he's bought. And I'm, and I'm looking for the guy at the intermission. We're at the concession stand because I figured, well, this guy's got to be a uh, Montreal fan. And I've got a Montreal, uh, the, uh, you know how they had the notebook for the uh, media uh, yeah, to, uh, sure. I got it when I was we took a tour of uh, the old forum when we were up mm-hmm. on vacation, and I figure, well, if this guy's a fan, maybe he wants to buy this instead of sitting here on the table. But there you go. I mean, you just you never know. I mean, and that's in Atlanta. One of the uh, unusual items we have uh, is a jar of pickle juice from. Uh, uh, Andy Reid back uh, in the day. Uh, we also have a bronzed jockstrap of Johnny Unitas. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh. And that was that was a jock, a jockstrap that was obtained by a bar in Baltimore, and they had it bronzed, and they had it hanging behind the bar. So we ha- we have that. But I have to tell you another story about a jockstrap, and uh, <laughs> I guess the kids are in bed. Not a bad story, but. Um, <laughs> After a Flyers game, a young lady appeared outside the Flyers locker room. How she got there, I don't know. And she said to the guard, uh, he said, what, what, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. She said, well, I have a request. She said, I'd like to get jo- um, uh, Ed Van Emp's jockstrap, athletic supporter. I think she called him, an athletic supporter. And the guard said, what? What, are you crazy? She said, no, seriously. I've, you know, I've always loved him and I admire him. I don't know him. I've never met him. But I, could I get his jockstrap? True story. This has been in the paper and everything. So the guard goes inside and he says to uh, um, uh, Lewis, uh, I can't think of his first name, the, the trainer back then. And, and he says, uh, there's a woman outside once. Frank uh, Lewis. Frank, Frank Lewis. Lou. Right. Right. Says to Frank Lewis, uh, there's this woman outside that she would like to get. Uh, so he says, ask her, inner or outer? <laughs> the, the, the inner held a cup. The outer did, went over the, the pants, the underpants. Goes out and she says, inner. <laughs> they go back in. Frank Lewis brings it out, holding it with the tweezers. <laughs> <laughs> she takes it and runs down, runs down the corridor and up the tunnel. <laughs> well, that's a great story. That's a great story. In or, or out give us the name of your book once again, and uh, it's, uh, really it's, a terrific, terrific twenty minutes and uh, talking about all the great things that happened in the city of Philadelphia during this period of time. Give us the name of the book again, and we'll go from there. 
Sure, it's blades like a razor blade, you know, uh, a skate blade. Blades, skate bands, blade. and ballers available on uh, uh, Amazon and other places. And if anybody wants an autographed copy from me, go to uh, themuseumofsports.org, and there's instructions on there, and you'll get the book uh, with my autograph in it, uh, personalized to somebody. Uh, themuseumofsports.org, and you'll get the book. Lou, you were part take of, doing of a that, great, Lou. great era in Philadelphia, and uh, I think we were all lucky enough to live through those times. If uh, you were in the sports business between 1955 and uh, you know whatever period you want to use, it was a great, great time to be in Philadelphia and what went on. And I look forward to reading the book. I look forward to getting the book. And uh, Roger, you got a final comment before we switch over? Well, yeah, I'm anxious to uh, get down. Uh, when I'm, I'm going to be up uh, in the area next month. Maybe I'll, I'll be able to get together and see you, Lou. But I can't Absolutely. wait to get down to that uh, museum uh, down in Washington Township. I mean, that's just absolutely spectacular. But I will uh, put this in the mail to you tomorrow. I can't wait to read the book. And, uh, Lou, I'll tell you, we appreciate you being on. You're, you're a legend. And when you think about those great days back in the 60s, and uh, they're never duplicated. That's all I can say. Well, lucky, lucky was the word that was just used, and we were all lucky to be part of that. Lou, Absolutely. once again, thank you very, very much. We'll keep in contact, and we'll, uh, we'll jump off, make our switch to the next guest, and thank you so much. My pleasure. Take thank care, you. Lou. Thank you so much. Take Thanks, care. Lou. Bye. Well, one of the great sportsmen in Philadelphia and one of the really, really, really involved from an executive position with almost everything that happened in Philadelphia at that time, whether it was Prism, the Spectrum, uh, the Eagles, the Flyers, whatever it was, Lou was a part of it. And uh, it's just great to have him. And uh, I think that uh, Mike Simzak is next. We were going to go to Bill Berge, but uh, I think we're going to Mike Simzak first. Mike, are you there? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, John, I'm here. Just so you Nobody know, ever, Bill Berge uh, had, a, had a medical emergency. Oh, did I hear what you said, Frank. Uh, Bill had a, a medical emergency tonight. He couldn't make it. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, okay. we're, we're very happy to go to Mike because he's in the heart of everything that's going on at Baltimore, Washington. And uh, the soccer, uh, we're just getting to the uh, – the playoffs was a big weekend last weekend to see what the Philadelphia team was going to be doing and who they were going to be playing, what was happening in New York. So, uh, Mike, go to it. Well, I think first, uh, I don't know if I can actually fill in for Bill Berge. I don't think anybody's ever considered Mike Simzak to be an adequate replacement for Bill Berge, but I'll do the best that I can. Um, <laughs> Amongst other things, I think the best place to start with, if we're going to start in soccer in that area, is, um, you know, this past weekend on Sunday uh, in the NWSL playoffs, the, the women's soccer playoffs, Gotham FC lost. So that was the last game for Carly Lloyd, the long-serving superstar for the uh, U.S. women's team, uh, ended, officially ended her professional career on Saturday, the pride of Delran, New Jersey. She goes out, uh, one of the leading uh, goal scorers in uh, U.S. women's national team history, uh, 300 games played over the course of her career for the United States women, a two-time World Cup winner, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, and two-time women's player of the year. And probably 
the most me- memorable thing would be that that uh, 50-plus yarder that she had against Japan in the 2015 World Cup Finals amidst uh, her hat trick performance that saw the U.S. women win their first World Cup since 2015. Uh, 5-2 over the Japanese. And I think when we look back at that, we may look and say that was one of the performances in a game that was one of the more important games in the history of the United States women's national team. At that point in time, they hadn't won a World Cup since the one that they won on home soil here in 1999. Um, And although they had been dominant in the Olympics, uh, you know, there were some questions about their whether or not they could get over the hump. And I think after that, we've just seen sort of an explosion in popularity for women's soccer. It may not be as popular as men's soccer, but the fact that there is in some way, shape, or form a women's league over here that's continuing to produce players and the fact that there's uh, the game has grown a lot over in Europe and you have more of the Premier League and the uh, major teams over in Europe sponsoring women's teams, I think you can look back and point to that single game as kind of announcing just how great women's soccer really can be. Roger? You know, that's a good point, uh, Mike. And Carly Lloyd's a a tremendous person in addition to being an outstanding uh, soccer player. And I'll tell you, Don and I and uh, are very familiar with a gentleman uh, since passed away, but was very instrumental in uh, growing women's soccer, and that was George O'Gorman. Uh, because uh, back, this is even, what, Don, 25, 30 years ago, uh, there was, uh, yeah, a women's soccer that was starting to grow. There was a uh, league, uh, and it was uh, one of the teams was in the Trenton area playing at Mercer County College. And uh, so I think it just goes to show you uh, – just like, um, uh, oh, uh, he just went into the uh, uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, that um, I'm just drawing a blank from the Inquirer, Don, uh, who was instrumental in, in furthering the development of women's basketball. And uh, just it's so uh, George was that way with women's soccer. Uh, it, it's just great that now it's really uh, growing and and as it should, and uh, the, even now you have a great player who is retiring from the game. Roger, you could say I would, Mike would be familiar because uh, not from the Mercer County area, but uh, for those folks that are listening in New Jersey this evening, uh, Mercer County and the surrounding areas to Mercer County, and certainly uh, Hamilton Township in particular, was a soccer haven. And uh, George Gorman worked for the uh, – Trentonian in uh, Trenton, and uh, he covered all the high school, and well, he covered everything. And uh, you're right, George was very, very much interested in making sure that the women got their part in the paper as well, Roger. Yep, absolutely. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry, I just wanted to put that in because when you brought it up about the development of women's soccer, uh, George was deeply involved, and like Don said, this goes back well over 20 years, more like over 30 years. <laughs> yeah, no, I just wanted to make sure that we uh, that I mentioned that as we let off the show that, uh, you know, I don't know that she'll go down as be remembered as necessarily 
one of the greats. I think she's criminally underrated as a player for all of the positive contributions she made. She was just uh, at times surrounded by people who were just bigger personalities. You know, right. I've talked to a lot of people who have worked with Harley and, and said that she's just an absolute class act, that she would be on the sidelines after a game, um, working out, um, taking shots, dribbling, continually trying to develop her skills. She would never turn down an interview, just a class act on and off the field, but just somebody who kind of never really wanted to uh, stand out. She, she was not one who craved endorsements or the limelight. She kind of just wanted to do her job, win games, and lead the team by example. Well, how about the MSL right now? Because uh, it was a big weekend last weekend, getting positions for the playoffs. Uh, an observation there. Well, the first observation is, for the first time, there will not be a playoff team from the state of Texas or the state of California. Uh, all the Texas teams, uh, Houston, Austin, and Dallas, along with San Jose and both L.A. teams, uh, all missed the playoffs. So last week, you guys asked me about, you know, markets that they might want to have. Well, yeah, you're going to miss some big ones when you lose all of the um, all of Texas and all of California. That said, um, the Philadelphia Union got the draw that they needed. They finished second, um, and will be competing against. New York Red Bulls will be hosting a playoff, game, a home playoff game this Saturday uh, against the New York Red Bulls. Uh, Atlanta United. Um, Before you do that, they, they, give us your give us your thoughts on that Red Bull game because a lot of interest in the metropolitan area there because Philadelphia and New York going always going up against each other brings a little uh, a little anxiety. <laughs> If you ask me based on regular season performance, I would expect that the Union would win. Um, they have, through the season, undefeated against the Red Bulls, including a recent 1-0 victory at home in Chester against them. I think, as I've said previously, though, it's a matter of can they get it done in the – they being the Philadelphia Union and Jim Curtin get it done in the playoffs. Uh it just seems every time that they get into this situation, something happens, and they're just not able to get over that hump. And this is, I believe, the fourth straight playoff appearance that Jim Curtin's led them to, and in all of that time, they have only one playoff win. That's just not necessarily good enough. Uh, I think if on talent, the union should make it, uh, it's going to come down a little bit, though, to who's going to be available. Uh, the biggest issue is going to be can Andre Blake make it back from the – will Andre Blake be the play? I don't think – actually, I don't think he will be because he's playing for Jamaica. Um, so if Andre Blake, their goalkeeper, is not available, uh, you know, can – what can they do? Um, I'm just checking on the date to make sure that I have it right. Yeah, next week, not this coming week. So, you know, he'll be getting back, and he should be available. Will all of their international players be available and healthy? If all of their players are available and healthy, I think that they have a good team. 
You know, they've been a solid defensive team all year. Can they just pick up the goals? Uh, Paxton Aronson, Brendan's younger brother, has had uh, a pretty successful first season. Uh, so if the union put it all together, uh, I think they make it. Uh, Roger on uh, at 3 p.m. on Sunday the 21st, it's uh, Atlanta United travels up to Yankee Stadium to play NYCFC. Um, unfortunately for Atlanta United, I think that that one may tilt in favor of uh, NYCFC playing at home because the field at Yankee Stadium is so incredibly narrow that Atlanta United team that likes to play with a little bit of width is going to find it very, very hard to navigate through the through New York City, who has just a tremendous home field advantage because the field is so awkward up there at Yankee Stadium that they play on. Mike, let me ask you about that. Is that their home uh, site, Yankee Stadium, yes. for that New yeah. York team? Wow. Yeah, for, um, I didn't realize that. I, I knew that. Go ahead. Yeah, Red Bulls play in Harrison, New Jersey, at Red Bull Stadium. You can actually see it very easily from the Secaucus Junction Station when you're taking the Northeast Corridor. Um, but yeah. the NYCFC um, has, since their founding, has always played in Yankee Stadium. And they just, as a result, have had this extremely narrow field. Your average soccer field can probably be about 5, 10 yards wider than a football field. And this is basically like playing on a 100-yard football field. So it's just it's, it's a tough place to go in and play. So yeah, big I've advantage seen the for the Harrison. home court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I've I've seen the Harrison station or stadium because like taking path or uh, t- or like you said taking the northeast uh, card or uh, New Jersey transit into the city. Um, but I do know, and I always wondered because a friend of mine's been to one or two of the uh, games. Uh, you know, they had the the pinstripe bowl. You know, in college mm-hmm. football at Yankee Stadium, and I always wondered how that worked out because, like you're saying, I mean, for soccer, you got to, you know, now the United's going to be uh, playing on a much narrower field, and I was just wondering, you know, how football played at Yankee Stadium. Just to me, it just doesn't seem like it would be a good fit, but it, I guess it has. I think the way it, when I was up there, I watched Army play Notre Dame. And they have the mm-hmm. football field running pretty much straight out from home plate out to the outfield, right? It's similar to the way the old Yankee Stadium used to be. Yeah? In other words, they played major, major games, not only the Giants, but major, major games at Yankee Stadium, and uh, never a problem. Yeah, and I think the way that it's constructed makes it easy to get a – you can fit a football field in there, a standard right. – American football field in there. And when you get out into the outfield and towards more towards home plate, yeah, it gets narrow and there's not a lot of sideline there, but you can fit it in there. But a soccer yeah. field. Yeah, well, the only Yankee stadium in the center field was center field was, you know, quite a bit deeper. Uh, what was it, 457, I believe, something like that. Uh, whereas yeah. the new Yankee stadium, obviously, uh, the dimensions of the outer walls are much closer. Yeah. It's just not the stadium itself is just not wide enough to make it a wide stadium. And Roger, that's the point that I was making was down in Atlanta, uh, Atlanta United plays on one of the wider 
surfaces that you're going to play on in MLS, and now they're going to be narrowest. And yeah, in case you weren't aware, there is a minimum length and width that a soccer fan. There's a minimum length that it has to be, and there's a minimum width that a soccer field has to be. But they're right. not standard, right? There's no. It's not the dimensions. Think more like baseball, where you have dimensions between the bases, but your outfield can be set up any way you want. Uh, soccer fields can vary in width, and in this case, they vary in width greatly. Well, let's make a jump because uh, we want to talk a little bit about the Ravens. We want to talk a little bit about the Washington Football Club that still hasn't gotten that nickname yet. Uh, of course, the Capitals down there. What's going on in uh, basketball? The Bullets of become a little bit of a factor, so uh, let's go. Let's go to the Washington Football Club first, there, because they're struggling. And yeah, there's starting to be a lot of creeps. Um, they lost their last game, not this past Sunday, but the previous week against Denver. They had their bye week this week, and now they had their ho- they're hosting Tampa Bay. If you're looking for a get right game. I don't think the defending Super Bowl champions led by Tom Brady is exactly the one that you want to go into, especially when your defense has struggled uh, at points in time during the season. It appears that uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick still isn't close to coming back, uh, and it looks like Taylor Heineke is still going to start. There's been a lot of chatter around here amongst um, fans on sport and on sports talk radio hosts and writers um, as to whether or not it's just time to cut bait with Taylor Heineke, not necessarily cut him, but to, you know, put in Kyle Allen and see what he brings because we've seen what Taylor Heineke is and they're not winning with him. So, you know, maybe try a, a little bit of a different tactic at quarterback, uh, they cut their kicker who they had replaced who they had brought in to replace the kicker that they cut who then turned around and hit the game winning field goal for the San Diego, for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers to beat the Eagles and Dustin Hopkins um, they brought in Chris Blewett who if nominative determinism at his best um, he blew it and missed way too many field goals and as a result he was let go this week Ron's, um, I don't think Ron's necessarily on the hot seat here, but you can see where his, where where the goodwill with the fans uh, is starting to wear off a little bit, and people are getting a little more agitated with him than they certainly have been uh, throughout the beginning of the season and then at any point last season. Roger. Well, I I can understand that too, and. Uh... I wanted to get to uh, because of, of um, uh, you being there in, in the D.C. area, my Capitals. Uh, how's that the, the fan the fandom uh, handling this, this season? What was that, Roger? No, I was wondering how uh, everything's going with the Capitals uh, this season. I mean, it's early in the season. Uh, but uh, are the, is there total fan support or not? Well, the Capitals probably have 
some of the most loyal fans in the area, right? Um, their fan support, while it may not be as widespread as the Redskins is, it's definitely dedicated. Um, but there's concern. Uh, there's a lot of injuries, and a lot of them are, are long-term. You know, you have Bastrom's hip, Atlanta, and Jayoshi all out long-term. That's basically your entire second line. So it's a lot of it has fallen on uh, Alexander Ovechkin in the first line. Kuznetsov's uh, had a good season. Uh, Tom Wilson has evolved into a pretty effective two-way power forward. Uh, he's not just kind of the enforcer anymore on that line. He, he, he's been uh, contributing points as well. Um, they're really, really riding – the Caps are really, really riding Ovechkin. So they had a bit of a rough patch where they were losing a, a bunch of games in overtime that culminated with the just outright loss to the Flyers – uh, over the weekend before they bounce back. TJ, um, I'm sorry, Ovechkin picked up number 71, tying him on the scoring list with Brett Holt uh, in a win over the Sabres. So they have uh, a couple of days off. I think they get back at it tomorrow. It's early. They're picking up points on a pretty regular basis, which is what you want to do. But at some point they're going to have to turn those overtime losses into victories if they want to manage to keep pace in the Eastern Conference. Mike, getting back to football, Mr. Harbaugh continues to uh, do a pretty good job down there in Baltimore. The Ravens, uh, they may stumble once in a while, but for the most part, they're really playing pretty good football. You know, it's surprising that you don't hear more talk about Lamar Jackson for MVP. I know his stats may not be as eye-catching, he's never going to be the guy that passes, uh, has the passing numbers that we've seen from Aaron Rodgers or, or Patrick Mahomes, but when you consider that they were picking up running backs off the scrap heap, um, that he has kept this offense going the way that they have been and that they're playing as well as they are, I think that's a lot of credit to um, Jim Harbaugh and, and, or to Harbaugh and to uh, Lamar Jackson. You know, the defense may not have been as solid as we expected. I know that they've been looking for a little bit more out of the linebacker, Patrick Queen, that they picked up than he's necessarily given them. But, uh, you know, they're just so consistent with what they do, and they're just continuing to pick up the wins when they need to. Roger? Yeah, I was just going to get back to the – uh, Capitals, they're six, two, and four, and uh, Ochekin, what is it? Ochekin is uh, the leading scorer. The Flyers uh, are, are no score. Second period, twelve fifty four remaining uh, at the uh, Wells Fargo Center. And uh, I'm, what I'm really happy to see is Carter Hart's uh, play. Uh, you know, he had a bad year, got off to a good start last year, and then uh, had all kinds of issues. But they've Flyers didn't have any defensemen in front of him, Roger. <laughs> well, he did. Now that's it, and they really addressed that. And Cliff Fletcher, uh, Cliff Fletcher, did a great job. The uh, Do you feel that uh, the two of them are in the elite in the 
in their in, in their division, Mike? You know, I feel like they're both very, very competitive teams that we should watch out for against uh, across the whole entire season. But it's such a long season where we have seen teams get off to hot starts and then tail off. Uh, I was thinking about that with the Capitals the season before last, the 1920 season, uh, heading into February, um, February, March, right before the COVID shutdown, you know, they had played really great hockey and were at or around the top uh, of the Eastern Conference. And then they just started to backslide. And meanwhile, the, the Flyers that same season who hadn't gotten off to a great start just started to pick up momentum. And remember, the Flyers ended up uh, winning that little round robin against the top four teams uh, in the bubble and coming out on top in the Eastern Conference. Um, meanwhile, the Caps just never got it together last season. Um, well, I guess they, you put, uh, when you look at the Islanders and Rangers right now, uh, they fall in that category. Uh, they both have uh, have struggled. They thought they were in good shape, the Islanders especially, because they came back with pretty much the same club they had last year that was so effective, but they just haven't meshed so far. And the same thing with the Rangers. They had great anticipation for the Rangers, and it just hadn't happened. And meanwhile, like the Florida Panthers have gotten out to a really strong start. Yes. Oh, Maybe the best team in the league. Absolutely. And – and you you know uh, the Montreal Canadiens had that Stanley Cup Finals and they're just really struggling. So it's very early, and I would expect that both the Capitals and Flyers would be competitive and would be uh, would be in the running to host a first round playoff season. I think they would should be among the top four teams in the Eastern Conference or the top two teams in that division, but it's just so hard to tell through, you know, we're, we're what, the 10 games, the Flyers have played 10, the Caps have played 12. You know, we're not even really a quarter of the way into the season. We're, we're an eighth of the way into the season right now. Um, it's a little too hard to make predictions because especially in hockey, it just turns on you so easily. And you're wondering, like, well, where did that come from? Um, well, we talked blues. a little bit uh, with Bobby Taylor last week. What do you think? Think back ten years and say, what? Who would have thought Carolina and uh, the Lightning in Tampa Bay would be two of the leading teams in the National Hockey League? When you talk about Montreal, Toronto, and the Blackhawks, and all the rest, and here are two teams, one, one of the, you know, both Florida teams, and, and uh, they're, they're playing the way they're playing. All you need to do is get hot for a month, and that's it. You know, you're you're in there. The, the core there to that is, you just need one bad month. What's good goes to bad real quick. The hot goalie, Mike. The hot goalie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the hot goalie getting the right chemistry. You know, playing around with a line here or there. All of that makes those, those minor. De- uh, changes and things that we as fans and analysts don't necessarily see that go on throughout the course of the season can really have a massive impact when you look back. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's the you thing know, that makes I'm the Lightning, when you football. talk about the Lightning, you know, look at their, their defensive play. It's not only their offensive play, but it's the coordination uh, two years in a row going to the Stanley Cup and, uh, and now coming back on this the third year. Uh, and they've got people in place right now, and, and they've got, as Bobby Taylor pointed out, they've got the best goaltender in, in the hockey right now, but they also have great support in front of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike, I, I wanted to get to football before it's, it's too late. Oh, Toronto, uh, oh, they're saying the goal, I guess, was disallowed. Mm-hmm. It uh, looked like Toronto scored. Um, I wanted to talk about your football team, uh, the uh, the Knights, uh, the Black Knights of the Hudson. And uh, they won <laughs> the uh, Commander's uh, Trophy, correct? And their big not win quite. over uh, Air Force. To, uh, it's not over yet. They haven't played Navy it's yet. It's not over yet. They, they, well, I know they, they haven't will... played Navy. Yeah, but, but the, uh, uh, the chances are the pretty good. They've got the inside track on it. They've got yeah, the inside track on it. Um, yeah, a win against Navy will wrap it up again for them. What can you say about like the job that Jeff Monken has done in the time that he's taken over? There, um, it, they look to be on pace to go to yet another bowl game. I think that'll be the fifth one, the fifth or sixth one that he's taken them to. I'll tell you, uh, that was a terrific game on Saturday. Did you see any of the bike? Yes, yes, it was, and it was a classic service academy game. Oh, right, you know, just, just, just it was a great service academy game. I um, thought the nine, nine really, overtime game the week a couple of weeks back was one of the best mm-hmm. games I ever saw. But here, this one last, last week fell in that same category. We're right down on the wire and kept on going. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, though. They'll go into the Army-Navy game on the 14th. Uh, Army will probably go in favorites. Uh, Navy, I, I believe Navy lost another. Their, their starting quarterback, That they may be down to their third quarterback again this wow. season. Yeah, uh, they had a AC... tough time against Notre Dame. They were just a little bit uh, out-talented there. Notre Dame just had too much. Notre Dame had too much, and it's just been it's been a rough go of it for uh, Coach Ken over the course of the last couple of years in the uh, AAC. Not to say that they have been consistently non-competitive, but you know, over the co- course of the last couple of years, um, they, they've struggled. Uh, I don't know if moving to the conference was as big a boon for the program as they, the football program, especially as they expected it would be. Um, and, you know, I don't even know if they're, they're going to be able to get bowl eligible again this season, but, you know, Navy, uh, I think army has Bucknell coming up this week before, um, they get into a couple more uh, bull-eligible teams. But, uh, again, just another successful season for Jeff Munkin uh, at West Point. He's done a great job of turning that program around. And when you think about the coaches that went in there trying to do it with great reputations and, you know, had a little bit of success, but Navy was just on a roll for so many years. And it's just amazing how – 
the coin has flipped very quickly in the last couple of years. He has the highest winning percentage of any coach for since, like, the 80s. Well, I can believe that, that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the only coach that that has – through, has coached as many games as he has. Uh, okay. He has the best winning percentage and the best record of any coach for Army since Jim Young left in 1990. Right? Bob Sutton put together wow. a couple of really good years. Mike, well, you got to remember, uh, Roger goes back to Blake. He, he's, you know, he he didn't think anybody yeah, coached Army Colonel since Blake. Yeah. Colonel Blake. Yeah. Did. He was the last one. Well, I mean that 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 was a different time. <laughs> well, it, it was, and I don't know whether you got to see uh, the tribute to because Veterans Day is tomorrow, and we send out uh, uh, our best wishes and uh, to prayers to uh, uh, all. I'm a veteran, and uh, you're a veteran, and uh, a lot a lot of us that in the show are veterans. But I will say I thought Fox did another great job on Sunday at the Naval Academy, and uh, yeah. I, I recorded it. They they did two hours before they did the uh, uh, half times, and then they were there at the end at night. And I got to tell you, it was just a spectacular. What, what I saw uh, was just a spectacular presentation. And, uh, you know, it's a shame uh, some of the other networks don't follow suit and do a uh, tribute to the military. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this segment. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure. We jumped all around between college football, the NBA, the National Football League. We, we, we jumped the back and forth, and always a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Mike. Check in with you next week. Talk to you guys later. and Have and, a great uh, week, to Mike. Your Thank you. Roger, a happy Veterans Day to all. Uh, and thank you to all the veterans out there. Good one, Jen. Amen. Thank well, you. we're gonna we're gonna stay down in the Baltimore area because our resident mm-hmm. PGA professional is with mm-hmm. us right now. We, and yeah. uh, Doug Hamilton ready to go. Uh, yeah. I don't. Do you live closer to Baltimore or closer to Washington? I I, I guess Baltimore, mm. right? You know, it's it's equidistant. I think at this point, I'm uh, um, I'm split in the middle here. I believe. And uh, and the house yep. itself is is very split, um, in in terms of family, um, I tell you, that's probably one of the the biggest things I miss. I get I get a lot of um, Washington D.C. television um, out here, and I I I, I really sadly miss Baltimore um, news. I grew up, you know, watching WJZ, uh, Marty Bass, and and Don Scott in the mornings. I mean, they're partly responsible for raising me. I mean, that's a little before me, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, well, so not much. Blake, but, but uh, Roger knows him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. We we always had w, WJZ on in the house. I mean, before we went to school and, um, you know, five and six o'clock when we would sit down at the dinner table and, and that's, you know, we hung our hats on, on that. And, um, you know, so it's, I miss the whole Baltimore TV thing, and that's one of the reasons why I have direct TV because I didn't want to get caught on a weekend not being able to watch the Ravens if that was going to be a juxtaposed between, you know, the Redskins and the Ravens. Um, you know, so, I mean, this this household in, in terms of, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Ravens and, and she's a, a Redskins and, and Nationals and her whole family is Redskins. They had season tickets, I think, for – have season tickets forever. Um, but – 
Um, I, I think, you know, that's why you get DirecTV for me. I'd rather watch some other game than, than the Redskins myself. but <laughs> Especially um, this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, well, you Jim know, Harbaugh's doing a pretty good job for you. Jackson's doing a pretty good job for you. Uh, you're going in as we look into the second quarter of the season. Uh, they're in pretty yeah. good shape. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think um, whatever fallacies you have, you know, whether it's you know um, any any professional sports team, whatever whatever you know issues you have, they're going to come to light at some point. Um, you know, I think the Ravens have a very questionable defense. Um, they, they give up these chunk plays, you know, 20-plus 20, 20 yard plays. Um, they've had difficulties, you know, with some of the better receivers, um, Jamar Chase and, and Jefferson to name two, and, and almost subsequent weeks with a sandwich buy in there. But, um, you know, their, their offense has, has played particularly well. I mean, Lamar Jackson, I think you can make a case for him to be the MVP, um, not just of his team, but the but the league itself. Um, That's what Mike was just talking about. Well, he's you know he's really pulled some rabbits out of his hat here. Um, I mean, they had a hard fought win against Minnesota. It really shouldn't have been that difficult, um, in my opinion. But you know, as a wise man once said, a win is a win. Um, you know, but they 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 struggled uh, to contain Jefferson. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook had a couple good runs, but by and large, I mean, they, they bent, but they didn't break, um, you know, to kind of fight back and, and get it into overtime and, and have the best field goal kicker on the planet was uh, certainly in their favor. But I, I question, I mean, even in a short week, they're, they're going to go down to Miami and, you know, on paper, they, they shouldn't have a problem with the Dolphins. But again, in a short week with, um, you know, issues in their secondary and defense and, and injuries in general, um, you know, you watch it to see, to make sure. Um, but, um, you know, they still have to play, you know, what, Cleveland twice, the Steelers twice, the Bengals one more time. Um, it certainly doesn't get a whole lot easier for them. So they need to figure some things out here. But the, I, I, I think that the balance of power, power in the NFL rests solely on the NFC. I think that um, you look at Tampa Bay and, you know, Arizona's, a good football team, but I think they're definitely beatable. Um, you know, Green Bay um, with Aaron Rodgers there, I think is obviously a really good football team. But um, you know, we'll see. We have plenty of weeks. There's plenty of. I mean, we've had some major injuries this year to a lot of star players. Um, you know, COVID is still an issue, obviously. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of football left to be played, and and only one team can win. Let's see who it is. Roger. Um, I'll, I'll say this, Doug, that. Uh, Charlie Weiss this morning had a great uh, an, an assessment of the NFL this year, and you really can't say that you can pick anybody at any time. You know, you talk about parity, and mm. uh, I think the perfect example is Jacksonville winning yeah. on Sunday. I yep. mean, you know, who would ever have picked Jacksonville to win that game? How about so, Cincinnati uh, losing, Roger? And Cincinnati yeah. losing. Exactly. That's right. my point, Don. You right. And that's was what Charlie was saying. You cannot figure out this league at all this year. No. And, no. Uh, and, and the Falcons, I mean, here, they, the Saints win, I think, the week before pretty handedly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Falcons come in and they beat them. 
at the in the yeah. uh, Superdome. So sure. anything is possible now. I mean, and you know that's the consensus. Yeah, yeah there's uh, for sure. I mean, you know, you you wonder uh, from week to week what happens in some of these meeting rooms and and uh, on you know practice days and whatnot. I mean, in these. Uh, coaches come up with these elaborate schemes to, you know, uh, push the ball down the field or, or, or play good defense or do whatever. And, you know, in, in many cases, you'll you'll know right away whether that game plan is, is a keeper or not, you know, when they kick the football off. Um, you know, and sometimes it works. Um, well, we talked you know, earlier like today, uh, Doug, that was uh, the league spent so much money the last couple of weeks promoting the game between Kansas City uh, mm-hmm. And with Rogers going to be a quarterback, and of course, yeah. today he got really thumbed in the nose. You never know what's going to wow. happen, but boy, oh boy, yeah. oh boy, he put them in, he put them under a barrel. Well, I mean, he certainly did. Um, you know, but I think we've—I don't know—I'm—I I have mixed emotions on that whole, you know, Aaron Rodgers thing. Um, you know, I think he certainly. Uh, took the arrogant high road there with, um, you know, his reaction and um, his actions leading to that point. Um, You know, but it's like I said, I I made the case in point that said, you know, everybody's going to sit there and criticize Aaron Rodgers for uh, whether it's placing his teammates in a deficit position through COVID or losing or or whatever the case may be. And and that's, you know, that was one of the the major talking points of, of, many, you know, talk show hosts and, and radio and all those sorts of things. But, you know, I asked the question, living here in Baltimore, I mean, I think Lamar Jackson's had COVID twice now, and he's still not vaccinated. So, you know, I mean, why are we pointing the finger at somebody who said he got immunized, quote unquote, didn't, that then got COVID, and then we're going we're gonna to point him out to be the bad guy when, you know, we're going to talk about Lamar Jackson getting COVID twice, not once, but twice, and still not getting a shot. Yet, uh, it's his choice. You know what I mean. So I don't. I don't understand where the scrutiny. It's 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 easy for people to point the finger at other people to to, um, you know, have have their show be consistent of you know whatever talking points they want it to be you know discussed. But you know until you overturn every rock, I, I don't think you should you should point the finger at just one person. So I mean, well, at the end of the day, first, was, of, first of all, Doug, we talked a lot about this in the first half hour of our show with our representative from down in Tampa, who covers the Lightning and also has covered the Bucks since their first day. It's not so much the end result, as you pointed out. It's the fact that he lied about it. Uh, you know, right. it's, it's not a matter of this. I mean, you, you well, know that Jackson that, has not had the shots. If he gets it for the right. third time, the organization knows it, his teammates know right. it, and he right. knows it. In this case, well, so, the team didn't know it, the owners didn't know it, the league didn't know it, and he didn't follow any of the protocols, and he stood up and lied. So to me, well, there's a big difference. Well, the difference is Aaron Rodgers is a liar. Lamar Jackson is stupid. That's the difference. Okay, so I don't know how you want to classify well, that as right or wrong, but, you know, I, I just don't well, understand. Here's, the, here's okay. the other thing, Doug. Here's the other thing. Okay, the, the league is at fault. Okay, we talked about this, as Don said. They they find the guy, I forget the, the player, they find him over $20,000 or twenty five, whatever, for not having his uniform the way they were, right. okay? Right. You know, they have right. a guy, because I knew the guy uh, that uh, used to do the Falcons. He was a former player. 
and he had his uh, pad, and he was going around before every game and taking mm-hmm. notes uh, on and making a list to send into the uh, league office, and they had they exercised the, the fines. Well, right. Aaron Rodgers got fined fourteen thousand dollars for right. this, which is much more sure. serious than having yeah. an uniform problem. Having your shirt tail out, impropriety. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, sure. and that's why. And, and uh, one caller called in uh, earlier and said that uh, he shouldn't be fined at all because now his sponsors that he represents, the companies. They're dropping him, and rightly so. Right. But I think he should yeah. have been suspended. But the other thing is, I think that uh, there should be action uh, taken against uh, Lamar Jackson, because mm-hmm. unless he is going by the protocol, which we don't mm-hmm. know, because now right. a lot of this is surfacing, okay? And sure. because the protocol is, from what I understand, you go in at 6 o'clock every morning and be tested. Right if you have not had the vaccine. And right. if that's not the case, then I think the the league ought to come down on everybody that is sure. not adhering to the protocol. Or And in this case with, with Rogers, he lied. Yeah. But in the case of well, Jackson, we just don't know. You know, I, I don't know whether we, we don't know. we're in Baltimore, no. we're in Florida or, or New Jersey when I'm up there. Uh, I'm in Sarasota now, obviously, but uh, – you know, has there been any mention in the press or radio and television or the talk shows uh, about Jackson? Uh, you know, is he the, following the protocol? Thing, has everybody asked him about the protocol? Is he being discussed? Yeah, I mean, I, I listen to um, 105.7, the fan, uh, quite a bit, uh, whether it's in the morning, the what's it called, the, the Big Bad Morning Show or whatever uh, with Norris and, and those guys, and then, in the afternoon, I listened to a lot of the Jason Lockenfora and Ken Wyman. I mean, Lockenfora is pretty plugged into the league itself with regard to whether it be injuries or um, you know before the trade deadline and, and all those sorts of things. It's very enlightening to listen uh, to the points of view that that they share. And um, the only soundbite I remember hearing about Lamar Jackson is they they had asked him, I think, after the first time he had had COVID you know, would he consider getting the shots or whatever? And, and I think he was still apprehensive about, you know, for whatever reason, you know, getting them and, and whatnot. So, you know, I, my, my guess is, you know, there's, there's, you know, two sides of the story here with regard to, you know, if, if you're not going to get the shot for whatever reason, you know, you you're, you feel like you're going to turn into a chimpanzee or they're putting a microchip in you or there's not <laughs> enough research or, you know, it's a religious matter or you don't like needles, whatever the case may be, then you need to follow the testing protocols, the social distancing protocols, the, the masking, um, you know, all those sorts of things obviously need to, to take precedent. Um, you know, with regard to Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, if, if, if Don, you and I were playing golf and, and for whatever reason the, the topic of conversation came up, hey, man, look, I'm – I'm good to go. I've had two shots. And you're like, yeah, you know, me too. And we sit in the same golf cart. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to think about it at that point because you gave me your word. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I find out that you get COVID a week later. And I'm thinking like, all right, well, what happened there? You know, you, you told me you were you were vaccinated. And you're like, yeah, you know what, Doug? I'm, I just, you know, I didn't really want to tell you, but I, I just, you know, I, I didn't get my shots. Right. Well, that's, 
you know what I mean? Like now you've placed me in a deficit position with my family and well, as we talked about in the first half hour, Roger and and, and, uh, uh, Roy and myself. Roy, uh, how how about Aaron Roger? Aaron uh, Andrews. Aaron Andrews did a lengthy, big time, big time interview uh, before one of the games. And uh, Mm -hmm. how about how about Aaron? How about her? She, you know. What do you worry? Do you worry about her at all? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we, we've all, you know, been placed in these scenarios. And, and that's the thing where, you know, e- even getting the vaccination, I mean, it's – the efficacy rate was, in most cases, depending on what shot you got, somewhere between, what, 70 and 90%. You know, it's, it's generally not going to keep you from getting the actual disease, you know what I mean? I mean, it has right. a real good chance. But there's no guarantee at this point. And, you know, what we're talking about is you, the symptoms are going to be less. In most cases, people that I know that have been vaccinated that have gotten COVID, you know, have claimed, okay, well, I had a sinus infection or I had, you know, minor breathing issues or I had the sniffles or, you know, any of that kind of stuff that, that they're, you know, obviously reduced in, in capacity, the symptoms that you're going to get. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like I would personally have a moral obligation to somebody to say, listen, man, I don't want to be uncomfortable here, but I just don't believe in getting the shot and blah, blah, blah. I just want you to know that I have not been vaccinated. You can do whatever you want. Well, I agree with you. you. That's the way to do it. You're exactly right. And and again, you know, whether Aaron Rodgers decided to get the shot or not is irrelevant to the fact that he didn't follow the protocols and then lied about it. I get that. I'm just saying for media to scrutinize him as as this – you know, individual that's been placed on this pedestal or, or whatever, and then, you know, you turn a blind eye to all the people that haven't gotten vaccinated for whatever reason they, although they said, okay, well, I, didn't, I don't want to get the, I don't want to get the shot. Yeah, right? so that's so the that, difference. That they've, them... said, they've said, come out very clearly and said, I mean, listen, I think they're, they're incorrect in their thinking, my own thoughts, right. obviously, but at least they said to right. everyone, I'm not getting the shots. If I lose money from a game or whether it's basketball right. or whatever it may be, if I'm going to lose 100000 or half a million dollars, that's on me right. because I'm not going right. to get the shots. But it's altogether different when you do something that like Aaron Rodgers did. Right. Well, he, he showed I got the, the booster he was, today, he, Doug. I got well, my booster. I'm, I'm we got our I got it last week. I got it yeah, last week. I'm, I'm due with about another, I don't know, two to four weeks, and I certainly am going to you know, take my chances with that booster. And Did you get Moderna? Yeah, I did. Uh, yes. Yeah, because they've moved up Moderna. So you, you'll be able to, if yeah. uh, okay. you check, you'll be able to find you can get the booster much more quickly than you thought. Oh, good. Okay. Excellent. I mean, I'm, you know, again, I, I just, I personally feel like I, I, I owe it to not just myself, but my family and all the people I come in contact with to do everything Absolutely. I can. You know. Um, exactly. You know, and that's that's the next portion of that, which says what kids, what is it, five to twelve or, or whatever uh, age group. I mean, you know, if you, if you have a child that falls into that, I mean, what do you do? I mean, I, I personally believe you know, they're getting one third of the dose. I think you should probably go ahead and get them immunized. I mean, I think, you know, we we had a lot of these same. I mean, you guys, you know, think back to when you were kids and, and all these different things with polio and and all these, you know. Wow, you know that somebody has to get a shot, or else they're you know what I mean. Like everybody had the same amount of fear, probably then as they do now. You know what the hell's the difference? Well, I think only polio was the one that really. I mean, bumps, measles, chickenpox. Uh, you know, they all came up with a vaccine, but 
The other one right. that people were really, really concerned about, and, and rightfully so, was polio. And uh, right. you know, to me, that this is well, the most. For, yeah, first, it was first Jonas Salk because we got right. the shot, and right. then they desi- they uh, came up with the tablet that I think mm-hmm. you uh, put under your tongue, didn't you? And and uh, let it dissolve, or you just took it. But I remember when the tablet came out. But I can remember mm-hmm. getting the uh, soft vaccine, uh, my parents, as soon as it came out. But, yeah, this, you know, right. my dad this is, is the also biggest, in the, this is in the, the biggest crisis since polio. Right. There's no question right. about yeah. it. All the people that have died, all the people that are, you know, still restricted to hospitals. And, it, mm-hmm. it uh, you know, uh, there wasn't any choice. You know, if you were going to go to right. school, you had to have your shots. Uh, right. the different. This is uh, these, This is a... Uh, uh, situation where people have the option of not doing right. it. I don't know why, but they do. Well, I mean, that's, Don, I mean, consider the fact that's the world you live in. You know, pe- people are, you know, there's a faction of people that don't want to get the shot because they feel like they're mandated to. Um, exactly. You know, that, that every, every, all the, you know, it's a, they're, you know, it's a fresh snow and everybody's footprints are going the same direction. They don't want to go that direction. They want to do something different. You know, then you, then you have, maybe you have your, you know, whatever your 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 tree huggers or the different people that have you know religious beliefs that say, well, I'm not I'm not doing that because you know whatever God told me not to. I mean, what I don't whatever they they may believe, but right, um, you know, and then you know we 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 live in this world that you know everything is tolerated, everything has to have its place and its its time frame to say, well, you know what, I don't really live my life that way, but it's okay for him to do that. You know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah, right. You know, I, that's the acceptance level that we have across the board here, you know, and that's, you know, we, you, you guys understand this because you guys were in the business of media, but now, you know, we have all these different media outlets, ESPN and, and the diversity of, you know, in my opinion, propping people up in these positions that don't belong there. You know, I mean, it's, you know, we, we've made, okay, well, tonight's going to be the first ever, you know, women's called, you know, NBA game or you know, whatever it is. And it's like, you know what, if those are the best four people to do the game, congratulations, you know, they get the chance, but we're putting people in places now that don't necessarily belong there because we feel like we have to. And I completely disagree with that. Roger. Oh, I agree with you. I'm with you, Doug, but unfortunately that's just the way uh, society is now. You know, I mean, if I, if I tried out for the JV basketball team and I got cut, I would go home and dad would say, hey, man, how'd you do? Dad, I got cut. He's like, okay, well, I guess you need to try harder. I guess you need to be better. It wasn't like I'm going to call the coach and tell him that you're the you're the first ever blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, <laughs> 37%, you know, German person that's ever been cut from JB basketball. That can't right. be. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we do right. now. Yeah. So, well, the other thing I is mean, everybody's got to be a, a, a winner, okay? My daughter yeah. uh, coached high school girls basketball for two years and gave it up because of the parents. But on a more positive right. note, in your home, okay, yes. how is the uh, your spouse doing with mm. those dogs? Right. Well, it's, you know, look, I, I told you this. Um, you know, every Saturday for about three hours, I, I don't exist as a person. I mean, she just <laughs> – well, well, she, she, she will plan her day – you know, around what time, you know, Georgia plays and, um, you know, from a hurdle standpoint, I mean, they're, they're likely 
to play, I think, Alabama. I think the, the, the national championship goes through Alabama, although, you know, we, we could probably all disagree. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can have teams that, that have one loss ahead of, you know, I know that uh, Cincinnati and Oklahoma are both undefeated and they're on the outside looking in. And we, and we have, you know, what Oregon and, and uh, Ohio state and Alabama all have one loss and, you know, whatever. I don't I'll tell you, you gotta really be a little disappointed this. though in, in Cincinnati. They got a lot of very, very positive press right from the outset of the yeah. season. But look at sure. some of the teams they've really struggled with. So, uh, you yeah. know, to well, me, uh, I mean, I think they're obviously a, an excellent football team, but I think yeah. the match them up against some of the superpowers, whether in the SEC or whatever, right. uh, I, I just don't see it. Alabama well, had trouble and, uh, last uh, Saturday. Yeah. Well, you know, Don, David knelt down and he grabbed the rock. You know what happened after that? Yeah, so. right. I mean, I, I don't know. Fellas, we're out of time. Took TikTok. Doug, once again, a pleasure. We never did get any golf, but there hasn't been much going on. <laughs> this will be the first week, I guess, down in Houston that something will happen. But uh, yep. thank you very, very much. As always, we'll catch up with you again next week. Yes, sir. Roger, take, take care. care. We'll do it again uh, next bless. week. And uh, Frank, another great job. And let's just hope Tommy uh, recovers from that automobile accident. We wish him the best. We sure do, Frank. Thanks for everything. You're, we're, you know, we love you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. These programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women police and fire services, the men and women on the first line of COVID at the hospitals, especially those who clean up. <clears throat> These programs are also dedicated to those who lost their lives in line of duty: Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap. Sergeant Thomas Bager, excuse me, Detective Randy Belichick, is a killer. San Diego officer Mike Kennedy, Sergeant uh, Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, uh, Officer Ted, uh, Patrolman Charlie Connor, Carpenter Springs Police Department, Deputy Keith <coughs> Mike Dodd, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor pulled up the fire department, Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, Sergeant uh, Charlie uh, Malik, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrol Deputy uh, Arnaldo Christian, Wisdom PD. Lieutenant uh, Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Office. Captain Matt LeCurnel, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Captain Arthur Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Pipes, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogan, Wilmington Police Department. Chief Jim Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters will read 10 7 at this point in time. Sometime we'll be 10 10 at the table when we're until that time when the rose rise up and meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain still suffering in your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Today, God bless you and great week. Shem Alek Shem Shame on the
Yeah. 